Actually, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, just kind of a bridge, those two verses through the 31st verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And we love verse 23 because it really tells us our need, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace, of course we love this verse more, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it, exclu- it is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do uh, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Father, we just uh, thank you again for this time this evening. Thank you for each and every person that is here. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that uh, your Holy Spirit uh, will truly speak to us. And Lord, we thank you that uh, these are not just words for 2,000 years ago. Lord, we know that uh, they are as needed today, for we all fall short of your glory And, Lord, we need your grace, so freely given, just as we, uh, Lord, have since the Garden of Eden. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just make these things even more and more clear. And, Lord, that they would not just be informational, but they would be transformational as we share you with a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And, again, if you're taking notes, the same title as we had uh, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday prior Grace Freely Given, Part 2. Grace Freely Given, Part 2. And kind of our kind of touchstone verse uh, that I mentioned when we were last together in the chapter is Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus 2.11. You'll see that on our website, which, by the way, I posted two more messages up there, so we've got three of the past Sundays making some progress, but the last uh, um, piece of that, it's appeared to all men, Jewish, Gentile. You know, it's estimated that when the gospel, now, of course, men didn't know that the Christ had come. They didn't know, you know, in places around the world, so the apostles were sent out after you know, after the church is dispersed from Jerusalem. But uh, it's believed that the uh, apostles, and, and then reaching one and one reaching one, that they really did circle the globe in a rather short period of time. And long before uh, we have the technology of today, uh, that they had been able 
to bring the gospel to the four corners of the world, but the gospel uh, has appeared to all men. The fact that Jesus came to the earth, uh, he actually came to the world, for God so loved the entire world. And this grace uh, Paul is writing about, or continue to write about in the book of, uh, in the book of Romans here, um, is so needed in all the you know, previous history. Uh, the world knew about the law, if they had any knowledge of the children of Israel, if they had any knowledge of Jerusalem, if they had any knowledge of uh, the temple and the priesthood, they would know about the law. Uh, but many, if you were here with us last time, many Jewish people had come to believe that just being Jewish was going to be enough to have the favor of God. When they would die, that they would be counted righteous because they were Jewish. Uh, and some thought, well, because I'm a really good practicing Jewish person, but some actually thought simply being Jewish. Uh, you know, just like even today, uh, if you look at something like christening, which is found nowhere in the Bible, well, I was christened, so therefore, I'm going to heaven. doesn't matter if I became an axe murderer after that, you know, whatever else it may be, uh, I was christened. Well, in the same concept, uh, Judaism, many Jews thought, we're of the seed of Abraham. We're of the bloodline of Abraham, therefore, we're good to go. And, uh, and others thought, well, you at least have to be a practicing Jewish person. This kind of ran the gamut. Uh, when we were over in Israel, um, you know, you'll find you've got the, uh, you've got the um, secular, uh, you've got the moderate Jewish, you've got the conservative Jewish, you've got the ultra-Orthodox Jewish. You know, you've got kind of a continuum there. And uh, you know, depending on where you're at in the continuum, you'll have a little different belief of the value of your Judaism. But Paul is here to say that it doesn't matter what kind of flavor you are on the spectrum, whether you're Jew, Gentile, later he would write, you know, Scythians, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, that everyone falls under the same condemnation. Back in verse 19, whatever the law says, it says that the whole world may be quiet, or uses the word shut up. The whole world's shut up before uh, the law, that no one can speak, no one will be able to stand on their own righteousness. Well, the last, when we were last together, we looked at four things. We got through two of them. We looked at Paul's clarification up in verses 1 through 8, uh, Paul's clarification of some misunderstandings and, uh, and, and flat out lies. They were also lying and saying that Paul uh, and those that were uh, part of Paul's ministry we're saying that uh, you know you could live any way you want because even if you lived a sinful life, God would still turn it for good. We, this goes all the way back to Genesis when Joseph said, "Though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good." Uh, now that wasn't a recipe for God saying, "Hey, I want all of you to do as many weird, bad things as you can possibly do, and watch me turn it into something good." Um, but there was people saying that that's what Paul was saying. And, of course, that wasn't true. So we looked at the clarification areas and some other things as well. You can get the CD uh, or uh, just check it out on our website. And then we looked at the condition. The condition in verses 9 through 20 is that everyone is in sin. Everyone is heavy laden with sin. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, you, know you might have less sins than someone else, 
uh, but uh, wet is still on. You jump in a pool and you're still 100% wet. It doesn't matter uh, if you feel wet, more wet than someone else, you're still drenched. And so all have sinned, and, and he goes through that in verses 9 uh, through 20, and then we see in verse 23, of course, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. So Paul, very repetitive, making sure you understand clearly, he's quoting from uh, the Old Testament here as well, and the prophet Isaiah, to understand that uh, the condition of sin is inescapable. So which brings us to the last two points that we want to look at, compassion and confirmation. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure, well, I do know about you. I know about all of you here. I know you're all just as thankful for God's compassion as I am. At least I hope that you are. We do, we do have a compassionate Savior, don't we? Um, if God were to really hold us accountable the same way we hold other people accountable, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? I mean, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be much room for anybody under the way, that we, uh, the way that we judge one another. But the Lord, uh, he gives us this free gift of his son. And turn with me to Titus chapter 3 for just a second. Titus chapter 3. Tells us a little bit about, when you see this in your own Bibles, I could read it to you, but Titus chapter 3. If you haven't read this passage in a while, it's good to remind yourself And many of us do this anyway, but it's good to see it from God's Word. Titus chapter 3, starting with verse 3. You can show this verse to people when you're witnessing to them, too, these verses. For we, were, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. Now, we know this is true of nations. This is true of tribes. This is true of individuals. This is true inside of families, isn't it? Everything you just read there. But, oh, that's a good word, isn't it? Buts are a lot of times bad when you're talking to people because you know that really the point that they disagree with you on is about to come or the point that they think that you got wrong is about to come, but not with God here. This is a good but. But... When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness. Same concept we're looking at in Romans 3. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Where would that get us? Paul's already talked about this. All the works of righteousness we would have done can't get us out of the gate. Much less around the track. But according to his mercy... He saved us, mercy, mercy and grace, hand in hand, through the washing of regeneration, regenerating something, something that was dead, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul will also write, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of Christ. So you have to have the Holy Spirit indwelling. Verse 6, he, whom he poured out on us sparingly. It's not what it says, is it? Abundantly, 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is a theological mouthful. You could study those verses for quite a while because he lays out all the elements of pre-sin, post-sin, and even goes all the way to the heavenly eternal life. And he did it in only five verses or so. I love that passage. We ourselves were also once foolish. I can agree with that. Disobedient. Agree with that. Deceived. Serving various lusts. Ditto, ditto, pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. Not a good list, is it? This is what the Lord, but the kindness of God. When you think of compassion, the kindness of God. Look at, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he always went to what the Pharisees or the religious leaders thought was the worst of the worst, didn't he? Now, God didn't think of them as the worst of the worst because God doesn't have the same differentiating. Uh, He actually looks inside the heart. So he actually knew that the people who looked really good on the outside that were the model citizens were also themselves greedy, had also been dishonest in business relationships or whatever else, were hypocrites, self-righteous, full of lust maybe on the inside, Oftentimes, not just on the inside, they just were able to, just like in today, a lot, the more money and power you have, you, know, you have ways to hide things. But in all those times that Jesus was going from village to village, he, he purposely went to the worst of the worst to demonstrate that God had come to cleanse and to purify what everyone else could see on the outside because he was dealing with... Now he would then address the self-righteous when they would... They, remember, they would always come to him with a litany of questions or uh, some sort of riddle that they think would they'd catch him in or something like that. But his ministry was going to the worst of the worst, the downtrodden, the ones that the world thought... Well, that, you know, especially the Jewish people. Remember, he didn't come to the Gentile world. He came to Israel. So in the Jewish realm... He was going, when he was going to publicans, sinners, prostitutes, and the like, they couldn't believe that a righteous, holy man would actually go anywhere near such filthy, wicked people. And of course, Jesus is letting them know, no, no, no that, that would be everybody. You guys too. The only thing is, you won't let me come to your neighborhoods. I have to meet you at the temple or some public place where you can come find me because... Now, well, today it would be like a gated community or something, you know. But back to Romans chapter 3, verse 24, the key verse of why I titled it Grace Freely Given, but being justified freely by His grace. Now, it wasn't free for Jesus, and it wasn't free for the Lord. It wasn't free for the Father. It's free for us. We are not ever going to have to die for our sins. Now, people have died for the faith, but that wouldn't get them to heaven, right? People have been martyred for the faith. I've been reading Richard Wormbrandt's 
book Tortured for Christ, which um, uh, is sobering beyond description if you haven't read it. Um, but that alone still doesn't get us to heaven. It, it's his suffering, bleeding to death, died on the cross, raising from the dead. You and I could all die a martyr's death and wouldn't get us to heaven. In other words, we, it's freely because we can't purchase it, right? If you walk into a place and they say, hey, how much is, you say, how much is this? They say, it's free. We always like to hear that, don't we? Unless it's something we don't want. <laughs> but if it's something that we like, have free samples. That just means you don't have to purchase it and purchasing it. You know, you, I guess you could donate the money, but you could donate God a billion dollars and it still isn't going to help you any. You could say, well, I'll die on the cross for myself. It wouldn't help. It's only what he freely gives, his grace, the compassion of his own death. The Greek word for propitiation in verse 25, it says, God has set forth as propitiation by his blood. The blood had to be shed. We know this from the Old Testament, right? The blood had to be applied to the mercy seat. Hebrews will later tell us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Can't be removed. Sin can't be covered without the shedding of blood. But this word, this Greek word for propitiation, hilasterion, hilasterion, hilasterion is also used in the Septuagint for the mercy seat. The Septuagint written by the Hebrew scholars from each of the 12 tribes. Um, so this same word speaks of the mercy seat. And remember, in the mercy seat, it's specifically the lid. You know, we're in the book of Exodus on Sunday. Specifically the lid, which is not wood and gold. The lid was solid gold. And the sacrificial blood, of course, was, had to be sprinkled there on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And Jesus, our sacrifice and our substitute, we meet him at the mercy seat, if you will, at the foot of the cross where the grace is freely given, where his blood has been shed for us. Back in the 22nd, uh, verse here in chapter 3, it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Faith through Christ to all and on all. And once we have this faith through Christ, he bestows upon us, in verse 25, to demonstrate his righteousness, that he might be the justifier, in verse 26, of the one who has faith in Jesus, he bestows his righteousness upon us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And then, not only that, we, taught, we see here the Holy Spirit, which we also looked at, uh, or, or we saw the Holy Spirit when we were over in the book of Titus there. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So the, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of us, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now the Holy Spirit can only be given and then indwell us with salvation. 
there has to be first what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is not saying, I believe Jesus exists. Lots of people believe Jesus exists. All over the world. I've had many people that do not have faith in Christ or do not have a relationship in Christ tell me, yeah, I believe Jesus exists. He was a good man. Right? That's not, that's not putting your faith in him. And he, he has compassion and freely offers grace, but that grace is received on his terms, not ours. Amen? There has to be. What did Jesus say that the start of his ministry, as soon as he goes uh, and begins to preach, the first words out of his mouth, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. You don't hear that word in the world that much anymore. The world ought to hear it from us, not in, a, uh, not in some sort of self-righteous way, but I, I say it quite gently and calm when I'm talking to people and I, you know, I, I try and give gospel tracts to people or give them a business card that has our highlighted website. I just say, hey, you know, if I, if I get the opportunity to talk to them or, you know, Sunday night when I was bon air talking to the kids there in the uh, correctional facility and, you know, when you are talking to someone about the Lord, say, look, God tells us, not me, God tells us we must repent. Now, it begs the question, a lot of people don't know what the word means then. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, then you can take them to Titus and say, look what, we who were once, <laughs> this was me, right here, this was me. Titus 3.3, 3, this used to be me, foolish, lustful, malice, envy, deceit, right? So this, this was the way I was, the pattern of my life. Now, and you explain it, I'm not sinless now but I no longer live in bondage to sin. I live for Christ because I asked him to cleanse me. I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to wash me clean by his blood. I asked him to fill me and indwell me and seal me with his Holy Spirit, right? So we then become temples of the Holy Spirit. God makes us temples of the Holy Spirit. Before that, I don't know what we were, but it wasn't a temple, right? We're called other things. Our body's called a tent, right? It, it would look, uh, you know, maybe our body before was a dumpster fire. I don't know. Uh, before it became a temple and a tent. It's a tent because it's temporary until we get to heaven, right? This tent must be put off. That's the pilgrim term for our indwelling. But it's also a temple in the sense of the, the fact that the very God of the universe would actually dwell inside of us and any other place ever built for him had to be holy. Well, we weren't holy until he showed grace and mercy and then we become holy by the blood of Jesus. And then, then you can have some rusted out, raggedy building like each of us turned into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then collectively as a church, we're, we're that same thing as well. But it doesn't just stop there. The Lord has the indwelling, but he also places upon us. We don't have time to uh, maybe go through. Well, I, I could probably turn there. You don't have to turn there to this one. But um, he does more than that. With the power of the Holy Spirit, God gives us, God gives us himself to actually 
walk through this world and continue to stay. Those of you who read things like Pilgrim's Progress, that you would be able to stay on that narrow path and stay within his righteousness. I mean, you, you can't work your way to heaven. You receive, you receive grace alone. But you need the Holy Spirit and you need the righteousness of God and you need the help of the Spirit to actually continue to now grow in righteousness. And this is another one of his graces. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, in, in chapter 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all supplication, listen to this, in the Spirit. Why do I read that passage when I talk about compassion? Because the graces of God, go back to the other, if you go back and read all of Titus chapter 3, it says the grace trains us. See, grace is, grace is very multifaceted. I, I've used the illustration before that grace is like salt. Salt has many uses, literally hundreds of uses. And grace is the same way. The grace freely given there's the grace we receive for salvation, and that's compassion. But God doesn't leave us like lying on the ground like a newborn infant. He actually is the one picking us up, training us, teaching us how to walk, teaching us how to talk, potty training us, if you will, along the way. And you continue to grow. And then with all the things that are in the world that actually come against you, he says, now I show you how to put your whole armor on. And it's all elements of the power of the Holy Spirit given by grace through the Holy Spirit. That makes sense? And, and they're all an aspect. And it's good for us to thank God for these other aspects of grace. We, we regularly, most Christians regularly thank the Lord for the grace given at salvation. But there's a lot of other manifestations of grace that we need to get in the practice of thanking God. God, thank you for the grace of your word. How many of you ha have been confused by something and you read and you get encouragement? That's grace. That's grace. It's not just comfort. It is comfort, but it's, it's also grace. Or you didn't, uh, you, you, you just felt anxious and you said, maybe I'll just stop everything and just start reading the word. And you calm down. That's grace. It's another, it's another form. Jesus doesn't just give compassion to us at salvation. That's just the beginning of the compassion. And it's a lifetime of drinking it in. And, eat, and, and as you get older, you start to experience new ways of God's grace. They're not, 
they're not so much new, it's just you, you wake up to them. You start to realize them. Or you start to see them as grace, and before you'd ever realize that, wow, that, this is actually God's grace. Like, like you won't actually get, you won't actually have animosity towards other people if you see them as gifts of God's grace. Say, so if I look around the audience and say, the brother and sister in Christ, thank, Lord, thank you for the grace of giving me other people in my life. Thank you that I'm not on the Isle of Patmos by myself. Of course, if you were, you wouldn't be by yourself. Lord Jesus would be right there with you. Amen? So this compassion God has given us through salvation, but beyond that, this compassion will continue to be given to us by the Lord. He knows what we need day after day. It'll always have its root core in the cross, salvation of the cross, but that is where it blooms from. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Last point we'll make in this chapter, the confirmation, which is verses 27 through uh, 31. Paul speaks of boasting. Where is then boasting? It's excluded. Uh, Not only can you become saved through your own works, but you can't grow in Christ through your own works. You do grow through obedience. Same way you were saved with obedience, right? God says, repent, call the name of the Lord Jesus, right? Those were obediences. The next obedience is start to pray, get in his word. That's obedience. But none of that, none of that was works. It all started with his grace. Everything else is an after the fact. Uh, the, God touches the first domino. <laughs> we're, we're then in the flow, if you will. But we need to be obedient to him, but yet Paul wants everyone to understand that uh, nothing is done but by faith alone. Verse 28, there before we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. I mean, you could have someone that had never kept any of the law, such as the thief on the cross, right? Jesus is there, he's dying, He's got two obvious lawbreakers, and we don't know much about them, but let's say they never really, they they weren't at synagogue. They were at the honky-tonk, and then they got worse, and then one drug led to another drug, and, you know, one act of crime led to another act of crime, and, you know, most theologians believe that they weren't just robbers, they were also probably murderers and robbers, so they weren't your card-carrying Pharisee that had done everything right. And what did Jesus say to the one? Today you'll be with me in paradise. That, no, very, I can't, I don't know if it recorded anywhere else. That's got to be the best feeling ever, to have Jesus look at you and say, you and me will be in heaven together very soon. Talk about assurance. Has anyone ever doubted their salvation? <laughs> so it's like, this guy got a better assurance than many other people. And he had never, how much of the law had he ever kept? None. None. Thief on the cross, in front of all the, 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 the law keepers had nailed him to the cross, is the irony of it all. The lawbreaker says, today you'll be with me in paradise, eternal life. No law kept. He followed one law, and that was he believed God 
at the moment that he was off. He didn't have another chance. There would not be another moment to either believe God or not believe God. He believed in God, and then at that point, righteousness is applied, blood of Jesus is applied, law keeper, God, the Father, this one is righteous. Entered with, you know, this is that 12th hour the Hebrew, cal- the Hebrew uh, time of the day. For us, it'd be like the 23rd hour and, and 59th minute, right? But that proves again that no one has anything to boast about. Thief on the cross. Then you've got people like Nicodemus, who he tr- constantly tried to keep the law. Nicodemus would say if he, hadn't, if he didn't come to believe in Jesus, and we know Nicodemus is so important because it's right there in the third chapter of John, John 3.16, the verse that everyone knows, even unsaved people know. But Nicodemus was a law keeper as best he could. And he, if, he, if he didn't believe in Jesus as a Savior, he might be one looking at the thief on the cross saying, hey, what gives? This guy is going to heaven. Did you just say he's going to heaven? I've kept it for years. I'm, a, I'm one of the best priests around. Paul said nothing to boast about. No deeds of the law are going to be good enough. Three points here. First, nothing to boast about. No works of the law could ever please God. Think about it like this. Um, I may be on the first floor or even the basement. You ever been a tall building? I think most of you probably have. I've been in some fairly tall ones in New York City. And, you know, if, let's say you're in the, uh, the basement or the first, I'm, or I'm in the basement, or I'm on the first, first floor of a tall building, and perhaps you're on the 95th floor. It's a long ways up, 950 feet or so, depending on how tall a story is in that building. But you're you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 900, 1,000 feet higher up than I am. But really... Our distance statistically to the moon is negligible, isn't it? Right? Now, your distance to uh, the top of that building, and this is how people measure themselves. They measure themselves to the top of the building or so. Or so. <laughs> and God comes along and says, uh, I was measuring the moon. <laughs> statistically, I don't know what that would be, but it would be so negligible if you were showing percentage closest to the moon it'd be hardly even showing up. And such it is with one person's best efforts to get to the moon. It's not going to happen. The second point, the first point, there's nothing to boast about. first point was no works of law will ever please God. The second, Jews and Gentiles need the same Messiah and the same saving faith. And that was a privilege when I was in Israel to talk to Jewish people and, and, uh, and just tell them directly, look, you and I, I don't even need to open my New Testament. Let's look in the Tanakh together. Let's look in the Psalms together. Let's look in Isaiah. We have the same Messiah. He's already come. He is coming back to Jerusalem, but second time. Second time, but not as a... The second time, he doesn't come as a lamb. He comes as a lion, a king, royal. The first time was the suffering servant, which uh, even the Talmud speaks of both, the suffering servant and the kingly leader. 
But Isaiah 11, verse 10, Isaiah 11, verse 10, those of you that are Gentiles, you'll be happy to know that this was written long before the New Testament was written. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Clear that he would be of the household lineage of David. Yes, for the tribe of Judah. The root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. You and I need the root of Jesse, don't we? Gentiles must seek him. But the family of Jesse needs to seek him too, right? And the family of all of the tribes of Jacob in Israel. In Isaiah 42.1, another beautiful passage. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He brings salvation. He brings justice. He brings the opportunity for us to be grafted in. Same Messiah, same repentance needed, same saving faith needed. Works doesn't matter. Jewish works won't do it, but neither will a heavy dose of Roman Catholicism works or a heavy dose of Protestant, I went to church every Sunday works, right? There's people that go to church every week. It's sad. I mean, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never... Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, right? Works won't get it done. Going to church. Going to Calvary chapels. I thought that was an automatic... No, no, that's not an automatic either. No. Sadly, there's, there will be people that have attended Calvary chapels that didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that's never anyone here. But it's that saving faith. And lastly, number point number three... Paul says in verse 31, do we make the law void through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish law. Now, this, this is pretty multifaceted. Um, not, only, not only when we get saved do we, do we not make the law void, but actually we have a new understanding of the law and a new appreciation for it. Now, we, we covered last time we were together in this chapter where Paul talks about the law was his tutor to bring him to Christ. But it's not just our tutor to bring us to Christ. It still plays a role after salvation, though not the same role. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, which again, in the, in the Hebrew, it didn't mean to, um, that it was, uh, he, when he says that he came to fulfill it, he didn't come to add a bunch of stuff. He came to fill it up to the top. So it's like the glass, it needed to be filled all the way up, overflowing. Fulfill it. Come in and fill the rest of the glass. But the same elements, right? It's just he's adding the same elements to the flavor. Now it's a full. If I have a half a glass of milk and I add more milk, then I have a full, and now it's full to the top. But I'm adding the same elements. It's just different kind of, if you will, proof points of the same elements. And he fills the whole thing up. And so it was the same in the Old Testament, a good way to understand this, in the Old Testament, if, he is the, if he's the lamb or he's the blood on the mercy seat. Now we finally see the full, full picture. Oh, why didn't we see that kind of thing? Which is, the, again, the way the apostles 
many of the things that Jesus said they did not see before his death and resurrection, after his death and resurrection, they saw it very clearly. Then they would understand, oh, you know, when we were at the Passover, remember he did the Passover that night and he turned it into kind of a Lord's Supper thing? He actually was the lamb. The little holes in the unleavened bread, that was the holes that, you know, so if you've ever been to a Seder, it becomes very clear. Now, the rest of us that are saved, we're like, why don't everyone else see this that's still lost, still in darkness? But the law, Paul says, does this, does this abolish the law or does it make the law void? No, absolutely not. It doesn't make the, God's law will never end. It's forever written in heaven, Amen. The Ten Commandments don't go away when you get saved. You now have the power of the Holy Spirit to now live according to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus, of course, thankfully reduced them to two, if you couldn't remember them all, although we should know them. Uh, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, if you really walk in those two manifestations of love, which Paul says, if we have not love, we don't have anything, 1 Corinthians 13. So if those things our operation in our life, we actually are living in harmony with the law. Right? Because, remember the thief on the cross fact, he, he was no longer a lawbreaker. He was justified by grace. But the law is then written on the tablets of our hearts, right? I don't hate the Ten Commandments. I love them. Because why? Because I've been made one with Jesus Christ. Well, he's the... He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Remember the Torah, first five books, same Word. It's part of the Word, right? All the Word is Christ, from Genesis to Revelation. He's the whole Word. He's the whole counsel of God. So all of the law is then to us beautiful. We just no longer have the, we don't have the same, you know, requirements that the law had to bring, you know, none of us have to bring a lamb. You know, none of you brought a lamb tonight, did you? Right? You know that your lamb was already slain before the foundation there. It's slain for you. So you didn't have to, those things, but, but the very things that you were guilty of in the Ten Commandments, those you now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you no longer like to lie. You're probably mad at yourself when you lie now, aren't you? you? Say, why did I do that? We lie for dumb things, too. We're like, why, why did I kind of... And you have to confess it and go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I was just a lawbreaker again. Now, you're not going to hell for that because you're saved, but you also know that living in violation to the, the same laws, it's the same law. Remember when the rich man, or the, you know, the young ruler came to Jesus, he said, what do the commandments say? Jesus still asked people today, what do the commandments say? You know, we can't live that way. So we're thankful that we know the law because the law, the Holy Spirit and the law work together, reminding us, right? It's like we're dry, they're road signs for you and I. God continues to bring the law back to us because he wants us to walk according to, to the, to the law, but in the Spirit. You know, we're not striving anymore. We're walking in the Spirit. A genuine uh, conversion. A genuine conversion will cause someone 
who used to willingly and haphazardly violate the law to become dependent on the Holy Spirit to stay pure and to keep God's commandments. I love to keep God's commandments now, don't you? I desire every day to keep his commandments. Not just the Ten Commandment commandments, the other commandments. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? That's not one of the Ten Commandments, but it is a commandment. So the Ten Commandments I also want to keep. I don't want to murder anyone. I don't want to steal. I hate when people use the Lord's name in vain. Right? That that you know, it's like nails on a chalkboard when you hear that now, isn't it? Because it's precious to you. Because the Lord's written these things inside of us, on our hearts. Um, I used to, when I first got saved, one of the things that impressed me when I would give my testimony, uh, it was only a couple of years, and I was already able to start to, uh, I was given opportunities to give my testimony in front of other men and things like that, and. And I remembered that before I got saved, I truly think I did whatever things I like to do, I would do anything within my power to do those, no matter how against God's law they were. And I would make provisions for me to always sin. Right? I'd make provisions to sin. I wanted to be in a place where I could sin. Then when I got saved... I wanted to run as far away from places that would cause me to sin. Do you see how the law was still working? But it was working in concert with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one reminding me, hey, those things I hate. Run away from them. Because Paul talks about this. He says, talks about to flee youthful lust, right? Well, lust is in the Ten Commandments. Where would you get the term? It comes back from the Ten Commandments. And it's all, anything under adultery is anything against God's husband, wife, commandments. So anything outside of that is going to be lust. So Paul says you would run, run from that. Flee youthful lust, right? So fleeing those things is a work of the Holy Spirit, but with a spotlight on the law. The law is not gone. It just has a different effect on us. Post-salvation, post-grace, post-mercy. And we establish the law through repentance. Acts uh, 17.30. We'll close with this. Truly, Acts 17.30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men to repent. Commands them to repent. Not only have the Ten Commandments, you have a commandment to repent. Everyone that says, No, I will not repent, basically is telling God, you don't tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. And that only works while you're still alive, doesn't it? It doesn't really work there, but it's a perception that it would work. But we have followed a commandment to repent, and then we have a love for all his commandments. We have to obey that command. If we don't obey the first command to repent, we won't ever obey any of the other commands. Make sense? You can't get through that door. You'll not go through any of the others. But thankfully, all of us that have repented, that we obeyed the command to repent. We said, yes, Lord, I will repent. And God says, okay, now I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit who will give you, Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. And now you'll be freed from all the other commandments that you can't stop breaking. 
And some of them don't happen overnight. I understand that. <laughs> there's a, there's a, but you're becoming new in Christ. Amen? Let's close in prayer.